It's June 29th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's tech and science. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're going to kick things off hearing about a couple of great upcoming events. Melly James from the Hawaii Venture Capital Association returns to tell us about their June luncheon tomorrow on Hip Island Living. Then Genesis Leong is here to tell us about the upcoming TEDx Honolulu event. Finally, after the break, we'll hear about the uh, startup life from the latest cohort of the Blue Startups Accelerator program. Joining us are Dylan Morgan from Unum and Daniel Kanashiro from MailGap. And they're here to tell us about their big idea and how it's evolving as they go through the program. What does it take to make it in the startup world? And, of course, what happens next? We always welcome your comments and questions as part of the conversation. As well, you can contact us by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. And of course, first off, we want to welcome Mele James from uh, the Hawaii Venture Capital Association. I think she's got a like a regular spot on this show with mm-hmm. the name on the chair and everything. Uh, and the uh, June luncheon is coming up, and that's coming up tomorrow. It's called Hip Island Living. That's something that I definitely want to learn about. You're a because, hip, hip no, young man. Yeah, I, I need an upgrade to my wardrobe. Uh, so anyway, Mele, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Yes, an upgrade it would be nice, for, for example, for if you wore clothes. Yes. Let's not get into that. I mean, you know, <laughs> it is radio. Our, our radio listeners are trying to imagine how sophisticated we are. My apologies. So, Mele, tell us, uh, you are usually covering kind of tech things and, and sort of like the last one was the, the, um, the venture community and investments in Hawaii. And how does this sort of play into this whole area of hip island living? Yeah. So, you know, the fashion industry and design industry in Hawaii is a sector of the innovation um, ecosystem Mm -hmm. here in Hawaii. Um, We've got the Cut Collective. We've got the Hi-Fi, which are all accelerators and incubators helping to get companies off the ground um, in fashion and design. So HVCA, you know, we've been around since 1988, definitely covering a lot of different areas of innovation, and it can look in many different ways. Mm-hmm. So we're excited for this Thursday tomorrow um, on Hip Island Living, Design and Fashion Innovation in Hawaii. And really, it's talking about leveraging Hawaii's unique lifestyle as a global brand. So as we look at what are the regional strengths of Hawaii, what are some amazing things that um, are a reflection of, the, of, of Hawaii, this lifestyle, this hip island living lifestyle, is something that is a global brand. I read somewhere that Hawaii is the second most recognized brand after Coca-Cola. And that's something that is a strength. And we need to start utilizing our strength. It's no longer a weakness that, oh, how do you overcome the fact that you're in Hawaii? It's how do we really capitalize on this strength that we are in Hawaii? And this hip island living, this unique lifestyle is one of those regional strengths. Now, one of the things they were talking about on uh, Hawaii News Now this morning was a, let's say, a prominent national uh, news organization doing a story about Aloha shirts, Hawaiian shirts, and not even mentioning any actual manufacturers, brands, or designers from Hawaii. So I think that although it seems like there might be awareness in the broad collective consciousness of America uh, or even Western culture what a Hawaiian shirt is and Aloha shirt is, a lot of people don't dig much deeper into the origins of that. And I think that's one of the things that your panelists will be able to get to is really how to bring out the value of the genuine article. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's looking at that kind of unique and also genuine story and narrative behind these designs, behind these Aloha shirts. Um, the CEO and president Josh Feldman from Tory Richard is one of the panelists and really excited about that. You look at companies like Tommy Bahama, people don't even realize nationally or internationally that Tommy Bahama is not a Hawaii company. 
right? And so it's we've got places like Maui Chips. People have no idea that Maui Chips are not a local company. And people have been utilizing this Hawaii brand for their, you know, for their successes mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with Hawaii. And so it's about the people here and the brands here who are local really capitalizing on this brand that so many others have in the past. And so we're excited to see, you know, the Josh Feldman, Victoria Richard, really looking at some of the more established brands. We've got Allison Izu Song, who is an owner designer with Allison Izu, mm. and also the co-founder of the collective, which I mentioned is the accelerator in the fashion industry. We've got Allison Hellwagon, who is the publisher for Honolulu Magazine and the executive director for Honolulu Fashion Week, which really helps bring it all together, right, with the media, the storytelling, and that amazing event that happens once a year where it all kind of culminates. Um, looking at Tiana Gamble, who's the founder of Bikini Bird, and that's really interesting as an online store, looking at people who are tastemakers, that Hip Island Living tastemaker style that people are wanting to buy. They're chomping at the bit to buy. Um, Jaylene Kanani, who is the president of Jaylene Kanani Collections. She's actually a, a person that no, not as many people know about, but she's an incredible artist and designer who large companies in the hospitality industry as well as uh, uh, manufacturers for commercial items, they use her designs. She's a native Hawaiian woman, um, has her factory out in Kapolei and creates these designs, which you'll see in all the Starwood hotels and many other major, major places that we have no idea. And mm-hmm. these are great stories. And finally, Nepali Souza, who's the co-founder mm-hmm. of Salvage Public. And, now, uh, I'm sorry. So, well, you know, I was thinking uh, there is uh, a, an effort that needs to happen in terms of the branding of our sort of like collective lifestyle, which interestingly, like Ryan, you, you brought up the Aloha shirt this morning and on the on the mainland, I don't know if anybody calls it the, an Aloha shirt. No, it's it's a Hawaiian shirt. a Hawaiian shirt. So there must be some disconnect between the branding locally in terms of Aloha shirt versus how it gets ultimately branded on the mainland as, as a Hawaiian shirt. So I'm kind of curious to hear what the panelists might say about how are they as a as a sort of unified voice trying to you know brand some of the lifestyle uh, fashion things that are coming out of Hawaii. Yeah, I'll be really curious too. And again, it's um, these panelists are all coming from very different perspectives of the industry. Now, one of the things that has come up on this show as well, is whether we're talking about tech or innovation in general, is especially when you're talking about fashion, perhaps, that manufacturing is an element of it, right? And certainly Hawaii is not a particularly uh, low-cost place to do any kind of manufacturing. Uh, apparel is is certainly outsourced quite regularly to other areas, other parts of the world. Um, do you think that that's going to be one of the topics that they're going to tackle? Because it is a tricky one when it comes to saying, well, we're totally for Hawaii brands, but, you know, is there also going to be an additional emphasis on making them here as well? Yes, I think there's a lot of movement in that area, whether that's bringing a manufacturing plant here um, and how people have been able to overcome that in the past through the, especially the established brands. Um, you know, we, we always have at least 20 to 30 minutes of audience questions. So if it doesn't come up naturally in the panel, I'm assuming it's going to come up with the audience questions. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went ahead and, and selected your panelists, what went into the thought process, I guess, to pick these uh, particular uh, panelists? So we wanted a combination of, you know, designers established as well as newer ones, um, looking at kind of media as well as this tastemaker online component. And that's Tiana Gamble with Bikini Bird, which is really interesting. She's got this great, huge following on Instagram and other social media where they create these looks, that hip island living look. And then they sell those clothes with that look to thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So it's really about creating that kind of tastemaker mentality with, with this in mind. And then also looking at... Um, 
some of the resources. Our moderator is Georgia Skinner, who is with um, Creative Industries with DBED, and I couldn't be more happy with the moderator with her expertise and really understanding that industry. So she's going to add a nice element of the government resources that are available um, to help really keep this um, industry moving along. Mm -hmm. Well, I like how you talked about Tastemaker. Certainly, Georgia is fantastic. We love her every time she's on this show talking about creativity, but as an industry, as a driver of economic uh, diversity. But I I wanted to ask you a little bit about the the hip part of the title. You know, certainly Tastemakers makes sense, um, but the, is there an implication that there's a, that you're looking for a specific kind of fashion versus something more staid or something more established or something well, more, that, I don't yeah, know, Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, Aloha shirts, Aloha shirts kind of like, you know, that's the business worker. But what about the millennials? What kind of fashions do millennials like in terms of Hawaiian sort of, you know, the Aloha attire? Yeah, I think it's it's about millennials and how Hawaii, Hawaiian um, fashion has evolved. And it's also looking at the rest of the world. As we talk about Hawaiian shirts, we talk about Hawaii. It's about people. People seeing this, you know, quote unquote, hip island living and wanting a piece of that for themselves. They want that look. They want that lifestyle. Whether they're here or not, they want a piece of that. Mm-hmm. And how can we use what we have here to create that global brand and be able to uh, manufacture and export this piece of hip island living, the, that that thing that everybody wants. Everyone wants to be hip and cool and be looking <laughs> like they're just walked off the beach with their, you know, bleached, you know, their sun bleached hair. Um, and, and it's it's really about taking that um, that great strength we have in Hawaii and, and really getting it out there. Well, it sounds like a great uh, panel. Where can people sign up for this event tomorrow? Absolutely. Um, you can go on Eventbrite and just look up Hip Island Living HVCA Luncheon, or you can go to hvca.org. And it's from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. tomorrow at the Plaza Club. And by luncheon, it means food. Definitely food, yes. So there is a cost, but you get to eat. Um, every time this event happens, I hear about bread pudding. So if that's your if that's your gig, then you should check it out, too. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a very exciting panel, so I will certainly go and check it out. Thank you, Mele, for joining us today. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. And, of course, next up, we want to welcome Genesis Leong, who has uh, been... For the last uh, couple, three years, working on the organizing team for TEDx Honolulu and Genesis, we want to welcome to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, so, it's, it's, uh, it's clear that many people understand the TED branding, TED Talks, to the mm-hmm. point where it's, it had become almost overwhelming and powerful. And then there was sort of the counter movement to TED Talks. And now we're back to, I think, appreciating them. And TEDx are the community-driven events. So if somebody wanted to help them understand the difference between what they see uh, trending on YouTube, the TED Talks versus a TEDx Talk, how do you describe that difference? Definitely. So TEDx Talks, I mean, TED Talks, uh, I think we're all familiar with that. Um, In 2009, TED opened up an opportunity for a lot of people within their own regions to create TED-like events. Um, So we really aim to create events um, similar to what TED provides um, on stage. Um, But I think the focus really is highlighting the people and the ideas that live in your area. Um, So a lot of the organizers are from those areas, uh, such as myself here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what you want to accomplish as a result of maybe attending a TED Talk, what would be, as an organizer, the ideal let's say, takeaway once you've listened to somebody's TED Talk? Definitely. So what's really interesting about um, TEDx and TED is the fact that it has every type of 
talk possible. So it could be anything from yoga or science or uh, technology. And you have experience of all of those. So you may just come there for technology, but you may um, end up learning more about science and arts and so forth. So it's really, um, as I mentioned before, it's really kind of popping that bubble. The experience of being at the event allows you to open your eyes up a little bit more to what's happening here in Hawaii. Um, and it's so ironic that we're so small in here, here in Hawaii, but yet we're so separated in a way. We're kind of in our own bubbles, of either if it's in tech or the arts. Um, so it's really bringing together and merging all of these um, groups together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, in previous events, I know when it first started, for example, especially at, at the national TED conferences, it was also about sort of having a curated audience. But I do believe, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, that now it's it's much more inclusive and much more open that, you know, you're not looking for the perfect TEDx audience. You want to reach as many people as possible. Definitely. Um, so actually, um, there's a lot of requirements that we have to fall under um, as TEDx organizers. Um, one in particular is that if you haven't been to a TED conference, then you're only allowed to organize an event within 100 people. It's always a bit of a challenge. And so I've um, been to the TED conference for the last few years, um, and it's really that chance where you get to see what exactly happens at TED. It's so hard to explain what happens at the event versus what you see online. Mm -hmm. Now, can you give us a little bit of a run rundown? In fact, uh, start with the theme of this uh, TED ex Honolulu. Definitely. So this year we have um, our our theme this year is Flow State. And flow state is actually um, a state of mind. Uh, it comes from the psychologist Mihaly, Czech Mihaly. Um, and it's the point um, of everybody that's been, one, one point of our lives we've been into it. So it's um, that point where we call being in the moment or being hyper-focused or um, some musicians call it being in the pocket. So a lot of creatives will be in that moment. Um, but what's interesting, uh, one step forward, is the fact that if you're in the moment while you're working, you can take a eight-hour day and actually get four hours out of it. So back in the 80s, a lot of technology companies were investing into more studies around flow state and how do we get our workers to be in flow state because ultimately we can have um, you know less workers working mm. more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how did, uh, or in terms of this particular topic, I mean, what did you want the presenters to kind of focus on? What it is when they go through or, or are in the zone, what is what it's like to get into the zone and how do they function in that zone? Definitely, that's it. It's really how do we get there um, and maybe examples of what exactly it means and how do we maintain that. Um, and so ultimately as... Um, musicians, for example, or as, as artists, or especially as athletes, when we get into that state, we actually evolve quite a bit. We, um, you know, we, it's whether it's learning or also in tricks as well. So I know a lot of um, groups such as Red Bull and uh, the Seattle Seahawks also use this method into training their athletes. And now we're seeing things that unhumanly possible, I mean, just a decade ago. But mm -hmm. um, when you're training your athletes to be in this state, it's uh, pretty amazing what comes out of it. Now, there is uh, there was an audition process to be one of the presenters, and I know many, many people wanted to tell their story. I love the general format where you try to tackle what can sometimes be really enormous ideas, but from a very intimate and personal place. And it's really the speakers that I think draw people to a particular themed TEDx Honolulu event. Um, can you tell us about perhaps a couple of the speakers that are you're looking forward to featuring at this event? 
Definitely. So we have um, actually, there's a few pro- uh, programs that we have within the event itself. Um, one particular is called the Artist in Residence. And the Artist in Residence program um, brings in an artist every year, and we focus on giving a visual to the actual event itself. So this year we have Solomon Enos, and actually Solomon Enos comes on board. He gives a look to the event, and then also what he thinks flow is, and uh, he speaks on stage as well. So that's one of our speakers that we have this year. Uh, we also have um, Bettina. Mainheart, and uh, she is uh, one of uh, the contemporary architects here in Hawaii. Um, and so it's really that physical design state and what it means um, to be in that state with flow state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we have um, another one would be um, Brian Cadwell, uh, who is from the high seas. Um, and what they're doing is a a huge project um, in which they have uh, quite a bit of scientists together preparing themselves to, g- to go to the mission to Mars. And really, what does that mean when you have this dynamic of people um, and how do we get them into that flow state psychologically? Now, there, um, there was a couple of, uh, well, one thing that you had mentioned uh, about a, a new twist to this TEDx, and, and there's an interactive sort of a game element to it. I mean, maybe you can share quickly about what that is. Definitely. So um, that's one thing I think that's been very interesting about TED conferences is the fact that it's the experience. Yes, can, we can see these um, talks online after the event. Um, and yes, the TED conference is uh, quite expensive, but it's the experience that you actually have in there. So for us, it was how do we create something unique? different that maybe most people have not experienced here um, in events here in Hawaii. And so it's taking the actual event and putting a layer over it and gamifying the entire event. Mm. And so everybody um, is part of um, our player of um, being a participant as well. So we have a few kind of interesting twists coming up um, in the event itself. So what, is this like a uh, physical game, board <laughs> game, you know, card game, or do, or is there like an app that you have to download and It's kind of a, well, it's interesting because um, with conferences, um, everyone's always wanting to the, do the difference. So if you're usually in the high-tech area, you kind of want to like, oh, okay, what happens when we turn off our phones? Or what happens if we don't use our uh, apps? Um, and so it's um, that physical um, spot that we're trying to get everybody into. So what happens when we actually engage on a one-on-one basis and mm. face-to-face? Um, so it's from the moment that you walk on um, to the property that you're um, a part of this game <laughs> Game of Thrones, kind of like I guess you can say. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, very good. So, so Genesis, yeah. So it sounds like uh, if you're gonna go to this uh, TEDx Honolulu, you're not only gonna witness the presentations that your your um, guest speakers are gonna provide, but you're actually gonna be a participant. Definitely, yes. And that's uh, another kind of experience on top of that. Um, I did want to add, we did um, just recently partner up with a showdown in Chinatown as well. Um, and showdown has been around here in Hawaii for quite a while and their idea is really um, how do we give more exposure maybe to the filmmakers here in Hawaii Um, and so our idea was how do we create a mini challenge or um, film challenge um, surrounded around our theme flow Mm. all right well this sounds like a great event where and when is it happening and how can someone find more information so our event is happening on July 9th Um, it starts at 10 o'clock it's at the Neil Blaisdell Concert Hall, oh. and uh, tickets are available online uh, through Eventbrite as well, so uh, TEDxHonolulu.org. Um, and I also have a special discount code for a lot of your listeners today. Oh. So um, you can use a promotional code with Bike Marks Cafe um, and get an additional discount. So everyone use those so codes. So is that going <laughs> to be like uh, all lowercase, uppercase, what, just... 
Um, I think with Eventbrite, you can have upper and lower. Okay, it doesn't yeah, matter. Okay. Bite marks, but spell it right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Genesis, for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Dylan Morgan from Uno Man, Daniel Kaneshiro from MailGap to talk about business acceleration. What does it take to get a jump on the startup competition? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. So you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring Twitter. You can reach us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Markets, the theory goes, play no favorites. Theories, however, are just that. The system's rigged, and it's to my benefit. I don't think that's a good thing, but it is. I'm Kai Rizdal. Americans feeling not so great about the economy. The Marketplace Edison Research Poll, next time on the program. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. Richmond, Virginia was once the center of the American domestic slave trade. Families were broken up, husbands and wives, parents and children were separated, and they were taken to the Lower South, where they were put to work in the cotton and sugar fields. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason, Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Dylan Morgan and Daniel Kaneshiro. Dylan is the CEO and co-founder of Unum, a mobile app to help enhance your Instagram experience. Daniel, meanwhile, is a serial entrepreneur and the creator of MailGap, a digital courier service. Prior to MailGap, Daniel ran Resource Suites, which helped small businesses by offering a low-cost alternative to traditional office space. And, of course, does Hawaii have what it takes to win in this startup race? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for having thank us. You. Welcome. Yeah. Now, we'll, we'll start with uh, Daniel. Since you're the serial entrepreneur, you, this is not your first. This is like maybe, right. I don't know, maybe several in a row. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, and, and, and then, then tell us a little bit about MailGap. But start with uh, Resource Suites. I mean, what is, uh, what, uh, are you still involved with that? Uh, no, I exited. Um, I sold it uh, in April 1st to my, uh, my business partner so that I could concentrate on MailGap and take mm-hmm. it further. But the idea of Resource Suites, when I was a real estate broker, I was looking for an office. And for two weeks, that's all I did. I searched Craigslist. Ended up sharing it with another broker. But that was a time when I should have been focused on building my business. Um, so I thought, there's got to be a better alternative. And when an opportunity came up, we were able to buy a commercial condo and turn it into uh, a shared office space. For was, that. This the, was this the one over at the uh, um, restaurant row? No, that's, one waterfront? that's Regis. They're a conglomerate of 3,000 spaces. Um, this was an independent, and we were in the Waikiki Landmark. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this was kind of the... Uh, like maybe a precursor to the whole co-working space? Correct. Uh, it was always about 
supporting and helping entrepreneurs, people with uh, small businesses, like-minded individuals who just needed a place to work out of, house it, and have a business address. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And eventually that last part, the business address, spun off to become our biggest product. Um, we've grown it to over 700 businesses that run out of mm. one office. And and this is the evolution to what is now MailGap. Correct. We There was pain points that I saw where people would um, drive in all the way from Makakilo to check their mail, looking for a check. And I asked them, would you like me to notify you when it gets here? They loved it. Yes, thank you, Daniel. Then we did that. We scanned to email, but then people's email inboxes would get full with these images. So then we built our own app. And... The feedback was great. We can also do uh, process of service and hard copy courier documents all through your mobile device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, can, I, I love the bridging of sort of brick and mortar and the digital space that there's still an important part of having an address and receiving mail, but you also want to be as mobile and as freed from those constraints as possible. So we'll go over to uh, Dylan now. What, what, what is your background? I mean, what were you doing prior to the <laughs> brainstorm that was Unum? A uh, failed company, so that that was the. the That's actually thing. an more important prerequisite <laughs> to being an entrepreneur. But yes, yeah, um, you need one of your belt. Um, but in so in high school, I, I had a small e-commerce business where I manufactured miniature skateboards and kind of got the entrepreneur bug. Um, so if anyone's familiar with tech decks, basically miniature, the, skate- yeah, miniature like skateboards, like the fingers, yeah, with your fingers, yeah. So uh, so <laughs> we we made a lot of little fingerboards in my garage uh, huh. throughout my senior year, uh, sophomore to senior year in high school. And then um, when I went to USC, a big pain point was, so anytime there's a big college football game or any concert festival like Coachella, right, when there's a big group of people, self-service is a, a, a terrible issue. So if all four of us, you know, went to go uh, went to go to the football game and say Daniel goes to the restroom, I'd probably, we never would see Daniel until, you know, after the game just because we'd never be able to get a hold of him. So the previous company was called SPOP. And we were trying to solve the local communication problem. And so the lead developer on Unum, Jarrett, he is, one, brilliant, and two, developed uh, an offline technology that allowed all four of us to communicate. So basically kind of think of crowdsourcing cell service. Hmm. So if somebody was on one side of the stadium and uh, you know I was on the other, through everyone else, we'd still be able to text as if we there's no cell service issue. Mm-hmm. Um, however... <laughs> That time and effort to to take and build that uh, with the traction, the little traction that we had was was kind of the uh, the the end you know uh, end cycle for Spop. So uh, a big pain point that we were having during that process is we needed to have a really strong social media presence, and so uh, we wanted to start with Instagram, right? Because that's where all the millennials were. That's where the highest engagement for any brand. And we were trying to find a tool to expedite that whole process. Um, and we looked relentlessly. And when there wasn't any tool out there, we said, okay, this is a pretty good problem to solve. And so that's kind of when Unum sprouted. So, so backing up uh, with your com- uh, that company that you could actually communicate offline yeah, yeah, yeah. to uh, to kind of keep in touch with your friends, were you somewhat disintermediated because of the technology? Was was did, uh, did was that uh, the problem? Yeah, yeah. I mean, was SMS sort of like a... Did did something happen with the technology that made your offering sort of obsolete? Uh, not necessarily. No, I think the biggest problem was, and that's kind of why no one's really done a good job yet. Because if you think about it, right, Facebook's popular because you and I could still be Facebook friends, 
But um, if I, you know, traveled, you could still know what I'm doing. With Spop, you needed everyone in that specific location to have Spop, right, to make it mm-hmm, valuable. Mm-hmm. And so that adoption rate in a small location was was kind of the, the killer. And it, it wasn't for fault of the product. Um, the technology was solved and, and proved, uh, but... But yeah, it was it was that traction that user adoption was was difficult to, to have. So you both had uh, past businesses experiences trying to get things off the ground, and you hear, I would imagine, about Blue Startups, one of Honolulu's accelerator programs that can help a business really launch and become successful. So Daniel, um, what was that discovery process like? How did you learn about these these resources that you could take advantage of, and how did you decide you were going to try to apply? Well, I've, I've been uh, following Blue Startups from when they first cohort number one. I've been to all of their demo days. I was hmm. actively involved in the entrepreneurial community here in Honolulu. I would do meetups at my office, and uh, it was just timing. I was running MailGap for four years, and I was looking at a, either a lifestyle business and growing that one location into a 1,000 user base or take that, apply to Blue Startups, and then accelerate that into a thousand locations times how many users that we can get on board. So you're looking at uh, the replication of what you're Correct. doing. That's so the, you, it, you've got you've got the concept over the four years of how it might work in Hawaii, but are you now able to take that and sort of cookie cutter that thing across the country? Right, repeatable and scalable. Uh-huh. That's what um, Blue Startups has put together for me. Now, Blue Startups has uh, generally focuses on early-stage startups, but it sounds like in your case you're a little unusual in the sense that you're coming in relatively sustainable with traction and customers, and you're just looking for that next exponential step of growth. Correct. Um, but amazingly, we, even though we've been using it for the past uh, year and a half, the, our latest build, I spent the first 10 weeks at Blue Startups dismantling our application. It was We totally just – we came from a – User experience standpoint where I was telling people what they wanted versus actually listening to them hmm. and then building what they wanted. So it took 10 weeks to, to totally uh, disengage and tear it all down, and now we're putting it all back together, and now we're in the home stretch. No, I thought, I thought the, um, the the blue startup uh, period of, of acceleration was 12 weeks, so you had, to, <laughs> you had, you had <laughs> yeah, the so dismantling of 10 weeks and then <laughs> two weeks. To- it's the home stretch, and we're cramming it. Uh, everything's happening. Uh, you know, we got a new version. We got prototypes. We got new web. Everything's coming together. Now, now, um, well, I want to, <laughs> I want to back up just a little bit <laughs> because with MailGap, so the way that it works is that somebody can have an account with you, right? Correct. And you can inform them of whether or not something has come into their mailbox. No. So you have technology that is as a as an indicator of 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 something of content that is present there. Correct. We basically turn postal mail into an experience like Gmail. You'll get a notification on your device saying you, you've got mail. Mm-hmm. You open up our application. You'll see images of everything that you've received. And similar to a Tinder experience, you'll swipe left to mm-hmm, discard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll swipe right, and you'll have other options. You can either hold it for pickup, have it forwarded to wherever you are, or um, request to have the contents opened and scanned and uploaded into our application. Interesting. Now, now Dylan, so... Please explain to us how you have taken the Instagram application, which everybody is familiar with. I mean, you, you take a picture, you post it to Instagram, it goes out to you know your Instagram account. You could you know go to Facebook, goes to Twitter, goes to Tumblr. But what is it that you've done to enhance that Instagram experience? Yeah, I guess just to add to um, 
for those that might not even know what face or Instagram is, it's basically like the Facebook for the younger generation, right? Just all you know photos, but um, we basically take that social media experience that they have and expedite it for the creators of Instagram. So we have all the tools that you need in one powerful platform. So to start, a lot of people really care about storing and finding pictures ahead of time. So uh, most of the time you'll take pictures and you'll know you want to post it on Instagram, but they'll be cluttered in your camera roll and uh, it's a really difficult time to find them. So you could basically store all of them on Unum from the get-go, right? And so if you have multiple accounts, right, you could store all the photos on different accounts. Um, from that too, a lot of people don't realize in order to grow organically, you have to have a really powerful image, first of all, but I'll talk about that after, but also to caption it, right? So you need the right hashtags, you need the right ats, you need the right description so that you could be found organically, right? And so you could basically save those captions, um, to eat any photo that you have stored on Unum. So you do all the dirty work ahead of time, basically. Mm. Um, you could do any editing, right, whether it be you know to add, apply filters, bump up the contrast, um, change the exposure. You could also tile, too. So like uh, one of our examples that I like to use is Pretty Lights, if anyone knows them. He's a really big DJ. I used to listen to him in high school. Um, and he hasn't released a, a new song in quite, a, quite some time, but he used Unum to release his new EP, and he used the tile feature. So the first thing I go on to if I went on, say, Ryan's Instagram, for instance, um, is his whole grid, which is a compilation of all his individual photos, which tells his story. And so to see that tile feature, basically you're taking all those little photos, but you're making one big picture. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Pretty Lights did to release his new song. So people would really – it would stand out compared to everything else in his feed. It had a visual impact there. Mm -hmm. So um, just following the question that uh, I asked Daniel, how much was built when you said that uh, Blue Startups might be a way to help you take that, your app, to the next level? So we had the product built out. Um, Obviously, we've made a lot of headway since then. But we uh, launched – I think I met Shinoa in late February – uh, we were uh, luckily featured on top three on Product Hunt, so early February. So I used that to kind of uh, sway Shanoa <laughs> to, to yeah. accept us. But, um, yeah, so we, we had a product and, and, and feature built out, and we had some of the bare tools, so, right, the, the photo uploading, the captions, the rearranging um, and and so we've been able to build a lot more since then. Well, so Daniel talked about having to sort of build rebuild from scratch. You've, you've been fortunate, Does it, it sounds like, to – take the input that you're getting but work more iteratively rather than walking in and suddenly realizing you needed to start over. I think part of that probably comes from the the tough lessons that we had learned from the previous startup. So we made sure to really roadmap everything and, and listen to our users ahead of time before we built out and spent the time building it out. Uh, so we made sure that it's it's – if you look it up on the App Store, so U-N-U-M, it's super simplistic, uh, really beautiful, and uh, it's very intuitive in terms of all the icons, right? So regardless of whether you're in the United States or in a different country, um, those icons translate. Uh, so we want to make sure that's be- just because 80% of Instagram users are outside the United States, right? So if, my, yeah, if you assume most of them don't understand any English, then they should at least be able to understand the icons and visuals. So who are the, um, let's say, the, the the ideal user of Instagram that you're going after? Because obviously I'm probably not that ideal user. Cause my, <laughs> you could be. You my, could my, be. My, yeah, well, I need to understand how I need to change my habits in order for me to become your ideal user. Because typically what I would try to do is maybe maybe post one image a day to Instagram, yeah. right? Because I my my philosophy is if I can post one image and then have that and milk as much likes and hearts on that one image, then 
I would I won't want to post another one until that one is pretty much you know dried up. So it, it probably takes about a day to dry <laughs> dried up. up, and then you know so I wouldn't want to post another one right after yeah, it. Yeah. So what is the ideal, uh, let's say, profile of your user? All right. So this is, so the secrets of Unum here. Um, well. We're we're lucky enough to have the core demographic that blew up Instagram from the get go use Unum and find us. So uh, our target audience are basically people um, that are in fashion, design, photography, uh, art, and we basically sell. So the whole reason why we built Unum is because we're we're telling that we're telling everyone that you have control over your online social presence, right? So um, Instagram kind of sets these fundamental blocks and borders and obstacles. Because you can't really the, – the grid is pretty um, pretty limited in what you can do. So you can't add a lot of complexity, and it's really hard to visualize that ahead of time. And so we give that power back to the users, um, and so we do that in that tool. So we're, we're seeing – you know, Halle Berry uses us, um, like I said, Pretty Lights. Uh, Cory Booker, who's like a U.S. senator, mm-hmm. um, uses us. And, and then also uh, if any uh, – shoot, you know, I'm totally blanking on her name, but my sister knows some – famous Instagram girl. I, I was just like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we're definitely used by by people that ha- like controlling their, their uh, Instagram. Now, one of the things that uh, comes up when you go through an accelerator program, I was uh, fortunate to be part of the previous cohort with Smart Yields with my friends, still Congrats, in alumni row, yeah. trying to make a go of it, find investment. Um, and that's certainly something we're going to ask you about. But um, one of the things that is part of that process is sort of waste sizing up the competition, sizing up the risks to your business. Now, uh, MailGap, I love the fact that you have this base coming from your actual experience running a physical premises that help people right. share that space rather than having to do it on their own. But there were previous companies, high profile, some that even got funding, doing exactly, essentially the same thing, saying, hey, send all your mail to us, we'll scan it, and we'll email it to you. And a number of them don't exist anymore. So is it, do you feel, Daniel, that maybe times have changed, that all of the pieces are ready for this? Are you doing something different, perhaps, than previous players scanning mail did not do that you are doing correctly? Yes. um, And part of it is, one of our uh, slogans is, from nowhere to now here. Um, we're not as sexy as Unum, we're, but we are, a nece- <laughs> we are a necessity. And our biggest um, competitive advantage is we do the compliance with the U.S. Postal Service that the other competitors never focused on so that you never have to physically go into that office. Now with real-time communication, web RTC, we can do a face-to-face where we verify your ID. Your, uh, we check it against your driver's license. We do a call-out to public records where you answer a couple of questions to verify the home address. And then we connect that your device address with your location to your home address to eliminate fraud. Uh, it's that component where you sign them up and you deliver their mail exactly how they want it. Everybody's mobile and everything's on their on their devices. So actually that's a good point because someone could go to the post office and fill out a card for Bert and have his mail <laughs> sent somewhere else. So you are doing the things that the Postal Service requires to make sure that you're not intercepting mail inappropriately. Correct. So it was all about security, privacy, uh, and then convenience. And then at the very... Easy to use. That's all our customers, that's all they're screaming for. Just keep it simple and show me a mail and just get rid of it. And not have to deal with the post office ever again. <laughs> so, so, Daniel, you know, what I, what I do want to talk a little bit about uh, is how you came to the conclusion that you needed to start to un, unravel or undo what you had done uh, in the <laughs> – 
first iteration of your app and and then you know how did the blue startups uh mentors i guess lead you down that thought process okay but we want to hold that thought we'll be right back <laughs> after this short break to continue our conversation with Dylan Morgan from Unum and Daniel Kanashiro from Mailgap and all about the startup world. Of course, we'd love to hear from you, too. You can call 941-3689 or reach us from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Tomorrow is the changing of the HPR guard. As Michael Titterton's tenure as CEO ends, Jose Fajardo's is just beginning. Tomorrow on Town Square, a conversation with each chief about HPR's past and future and why public radio is a lot like falling in love with the same person over and over again. Join us Thursday at 5 for Town Square. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Matthew McKay, author of Seeking Jordan. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how I learned the truth about death and the invisible universe. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ulupono Initiative, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're talking to Dylan Morgan from Unum, Unum and Daniel Kaneshiro from MailGap about getting accelerated and the Blue Startups Accelerator Program. And, of course, if you have a question or comment about the startup world, I mean, and these guys are in it, you can give <laughs> us a call, 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we had Daniel. He was pouring his heart out about, you know, how... He has experienced sort of blue startups and the accelerator. And one of the things that I was really wanting to have him share more about is the realization that he needed to do maybe not a full pivot, but, you know, a reevaluation of the maybe the, the user interface. And how difficult was that to perhaps come to grips with when somebody else is telling you, Daniel, you got to change? Yeah, well, week one, um, we were with our mentors and I was able to demo my product, and the comments were, it's clunky, it's confusing, it's ugly, it's this. And hearing that for the first time really uh, opened my eyes. I was like... No, no, no. It's it's good that they actually had accepted you even with those first week comments, right? I mean, right. If, they, if they were trying to decide whether or not to accept you and they had that in the back of their mind... You would think, well, maybe you know they maybe not accept you into the program, right? Because it's not there yet. So they must have seen something. I think, I think they did. And um, over the weeks, we deconstructed it. Um, they helped me put together a focus group of our heaviest users. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, got that feedback, and then we were able to put new features, eliminate features that would confuse people. Um, but we built one product for four different types of users: partners, um, managers, employees, and user and customers. We've since split those out to make it simpler and less confusing and cleaner. Mm-hmm. But all of that came about the first six weeks. Um, the past, and then the next four weeks were real user experience and prototyping. 
And now when the whole the idea, the idea of accelerator is happening right now, mm. we're like a draft position. We're coming out from behind and now we're about to take off. I like it. Good. Um, now, uh, Dylan, your challenge, I, mean, I, I, I asked Daniel, you know, there were other companies trying to do the same thing. What was the secret sauce? I think your challenge, and it probably came up from the mentors and the people at Blue Startups as they help you evaluate your business prospects, is that you're building a business on top of someone else's platform. It's like saying, oh, you know, I'm going to build everything on top of Twitter, and then Twitter's going to pull the plug on the API, and suddenly my business is gone. So for building something on Instagram, um, how do you adjust for the possibility that Instagram might change things, change the way it works? You have these grid that uh, goes assumes the three by three and you can make a big picture. But what if they change that to two by two or four <laughs> by four? Or what if they change their API? Um, or what if they build your feature into their app and you suddenly become a feature rather than a company? How are you prepared for that kind of risk? Yeah, so I, I I guess first they would probably piss off all 500 million users, but um, <laughs> assuming assuming they don't, um, there's there was actually a recent article about it on why they wouldn't do that, and so so Instagram's whole focus is on the user experience and that network effect, um, and so having that visual storytelling and and really focusing the content and the news feed based on the users. Um, Having more tools and more features really complicates that experience, mm. and so that's why they wouldn't want to do that. Um, I, I could send you the. No, article. I understand. Yeah, what you're yeah. Saying. So here's an example. So when you said Instagram wouldn't upset upset its millions and millions, <laughs> of users, well, they recently changed their feed so that it's sorted algorithmically rather than chronologically. Right now, my grid on my profile is chronological, so I can. I love your hack that yeah. you can cut a picture into nine pieces and post it so it's one single picture. Mm -hmm. What if they say, hey, let's algorithmically sort your profile pictures and then that might scramble your that might scramble your well, I guess I guess uh maybe for that one feature that the tile, we'd probably have to change that so it fits that new algorithm. But for the other features, right, the caption, the the planning ahead, the storing, that wouldn't change, right? Because you're still gonna post the pictures on Instagram and you still need a place to post them. You still need to know I also didn't mention the scheduling aspect. So you could set reminders, you could choose the best times to post. Um, so that like if you have a certain event that you want to promote, right, you need that that specific time mm -hmm. ahead of time to get that reminder. And I agree that design is one of your differentiating factors because I like that it's unique in the sense that it's not that things aren't labeled in English. You just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> visually understand. What's and and oh, sorry uh, to that to that one point too. Also, is um, Instagram would is. Uh, and, and I guess until they know us, they 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 like us a lot because our whole theme is to cure ugly. And so obviously you can't necessarily cure ugly, right? It's kind of play on words, but to cure ugly Instagrams. So right, the first thing I see is uh, an ugly Instagram account. You're less likely to get more followers, more likes, more comments. So our whole premise and our whole tool is to cure ugly. Hashtag. So <laughs> with no with no no, I, I like that because now I I am beginning to understand because I'm probably ugly. <laughs> and I need a little curing. You're a good-looking guy, Bert. So how do I – I think one of the basic things that, that you're conveying is the ability to storytell with Instagram. And what I, what I think I'm, I'm not accustomed to is the idea of this grid because when my, my concept of Instagram is I take a picture, I post it to Instagram, and basically it goes up there and it's one photo and it's one photo for the 24 hours that I put it up there, right? I don't really pay attention to the the grid that you know that uh, I would not expect anybody to go to that grid because if they wanted to see pictures of what I posted before, I mean, you know, what's what's so interesting about that? So, the 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 whole thing that you're trying to do is create a 
a, a digital story using that grid, and that's why you would want you know maybe break up pictures, and so that people put uh, pictures up and build their grid over a time, and then you would expect them, the viewers, to go to that perhaps um, you know user's grid and sort of see that, right? I mean, that's kind of the the experience that you're uh, you're uh, trying to. Yeah, it kind of it kind of goes back to the the original. Um, statement that you know Instagram is the next Facebook for the younger generation, right? And so it is planning out, and it's not necessarily so the grid's one part, right? And but it's also planning out the time to post. It's planning out what po- what picture you should post so that when somebody does go on your grid, right, it complements the whole feed and better tells your story. So um, you know, and it's a little cheesy, but why why we chose unum is cuz unum means one in latin mm-hmm. so e pluribus unum out of many one which represents your instagram pretty well right out of many pictures is one story it's yours and so you we give you the tools to basically tell a perfect story and that's powerful because your online presence is really important and that's why instagram's been able to grow at such an insane rate for that reason now daniel part of being a startup is Finding investors, finding people who want to back you. <laughs> now, certainly Blue Startups gives you some help there and a lot of mentors and a lot of guidance to craft your pitch to find investors. But uh, I'm, if there's an opportunity for you, this could be it. How do you pitch someone to say, I think this business can scale to 1,000 locations, 10,000 locations very quickly with just a little bit of help, just another million dollars? Um, how are you finding that process? No, so this whole program is geared towards it. We're getting ready for Hawaii Demo Day, uh, July 8th, and then uh, in, Mo- in uh, Mountain View in, Saturn, in the Valley. Uh, right now, we're focused on the pitch. I don't like public speaking. Even this radio is a little <laughs> nerve-wracking, but um, this is probably the first time in my life that I'm actually looking forward to it. We're prepared um, and we're prepared to impress, uh, to help engage and be compelling enough to get the investor interest into our company. But it was, we're confident in our product and our path and our go and our roadmap. And we are looking um, for the right partners to come on board as far as from the financing side of it, um, that will help us achieve all our milestones and hit our goals. Now, one of the things that uh, you're coming out of the blue startup experience is that, uh, you now need to prove to them that you can scale. So obviously, the thing that you need to do is establish yourself in another marketplace and and show them that this is how easy it is to scale. Because you know we did it in in Honolulu. Now we want to go to I don't know, let's say L.A. Yeah, right. And you know it only took us a flip of, of a switch. I mean you know you might have to hire a couple of people, but you know you could flip a switch and now it's going. Are you at what point are you there? Are you Kind of like fifty uh, percent there, or maybe ninety percent there. I mean, how we're close. We're about ninety percent. We do have uh, partnerships um, that we are exploring. Which route would make the most sense for us? We are looking to a West Coast um, entry. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, partners here that also have locations in California. Uh, that would be the easier entry point. But there are some that are uh, more aggressive that would implement our our product, and help it accelerate a lot quicker. Um, we're looking for that type of a closed beta so that we can improve it. Because when we do, it, again, when we scale, it is just uh, flicking a switch. And, you know, our there's 10,000 co-working centers that we're targeting. So we'll take it um, a little slow at the beginning. Uh, I look at six months out 
to perfect our product in a closed beta and before going full beta and launching. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So, Dylan, how was uh, how was that? search for that business backing going for you, it seems like scalability for a digital product, for an app that doesn't require a physical plant and working with postal regulations doesn't have the same kind of barriers to scaling on one hand, but it also is a little more ethereal, a little more difficult to convey to someone the reason why it's a good bet to invest in the company. So uh, how is your pitch development going and, and what is what are you focusing on to demonstrate that value to a potential investor. Yeah, so first off, thank you to Blue if they're listening because they're tweeting. So <laughs> they're I think tweet- they okay, cool, cool, cool. Because they've been super helpful. It's been an amazing process. experience. Yeah. And so we uh we're actually starting that this week. Um and and so uh, I'm in the final stages of finishing and flushing everything out and making sure it's it's uh it's ready and, and that no investors can put holes in it, you know, how that goes. But um yeah, we're basically ready and um, everything that we could have done in-house as a team beforehand, we set a lot of uh, hard but achievable um, milestones that we were able to achieve um, in the time slot. Actually, we were able to beat a lot of our deadlines ahead of time. So we have kind of all the checks that we've been able to do um, to, to basically set us up for success for fo- follow-up funding. Um, we've we've done it. So, uh, Well, Daniel talked about the coming coming to terms right away with – feedback that is counter to all of the work that he had done to that point and being able to adapt. I, it sounds like things are going so swimmingly for you, Dylan. Please tell me something that <laughs> – That's not. Tell me the hardest, <laughs> hardest piece of feedback perhaps that you've received as part of this this process. Actually, okay. So because, I think it's a, a maybe a little bit of a double-edged sword that we are so iconic. Uh, so we have so many icons in Unum is because I think to some people – yeah, maybe <clears throat> like Bert. Uh, when you first download Unum, that it might be a little bit of a an onboarding experience issue. So I think we're just flushing out some of those kinks so that we can explain the grid, for instance, or mm-hmm, we could explain mm-hmm. to certain people why they want to store photos or, or why it's ahead of time. Like we have case studies that people have used us in a few months have grown their accounts by 120%, by 300,000 mm-hmm. followers. I mean, and so just having that kind of portray in a simple onboarding text or video is something I think we still haven't found the secrets yet, but we're getting there. And and so every time we send another version out, we're we're getting closer. So so Dylan, uh, your your team is basically from LA. Mm-hmm. You're coming to the sort of the wind up of of uh, a blue startup. So yeah. what do you have planned once the program is done, and and what connection will you perhaps maintain with Hawaii? Well, I would obviously love to keep coming back here um, and visiting Blue and, and all the companies that we were fortunate. You're not going to maintain a, a, a seat at the uh, alumni alley over there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Um, as of right now, I think the plans are to kind of go back home. Also, the team's homesick too, so I think that's an excuse to go back home for a little bit. But um, just kind of regroup and situate and see where the neck, where we want to kind of plop down for a little bit. So um, I think for now, we're leaning towards LA just because of the next steps that we have lined up and the connections that we have down there. Um, but definitely, if, if Hawaii's a favorable option, we would love to come back. So, And Daniel, it sounds like you're ready to jump up, jump on that plane and set up those uh, remote, <laughs> those second locations, third locations, 10th locations. Sounded like LA was another market stopover for you. Yeah, that's going to be my work commute is here to the West Coast. But I'm born, raised, and they can't get rid of me from Hawaii. So we will manage it from here. My team's from San Diego. My other partner is in San Dimas. My developers are in India, and my chief marketing officer is from France. But hmm. we all managed to work together. Strategic. And, yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
So, so you know, I, I want to hear a little bit about you know how would do you, how do you envision Hawaii and its place in this sort of tech ecosystem, uh, being that you know you've experienced here, you've you've had your you know three months here. Can you perhaps build that business here, or do you ultimately have to go from Hawaii, Dylan? Yeah, yeah. So I think. We've been really fortunate enough because Hawaii is so culturally diverse. We've been able to test a lot of different marketing approaches with completely different groups of people, and we were able to fine tune, uh, you know, basically our, our whole launch campaign. Uh, and that, you know, has has been solely because of our opportunities that we've had in Hawaii. So, um, in order from looking back with the two ish months that we've been here. Um, we we've been super fortunate enough to to grow, and that's that's because we've been able to test in so many different areas with so many different people so quickly mm-hmm. that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. Hawaii's uh, positioning right here in the Pacific, for my experience, has been critical. We're working with um, LegalZoom in in the U.S., which does business formations, and we're also th- working with we're actually the address registered agent address. For a Japanese company, uh, LegalZoom of Japan, basically. It's called Shield Dome. And they do U.S. subsidiaries through our office to then branch out into the United States. So mm-hmm. we're actually bridging that West Coast and um, Asia through Hawaii. And that's one of our biggest products that we were going to be um, achieving through um, our deck build of mm-hmm. our application. Right. Okay. Good. I, so, so I'm sorry. Can I add one more thing sure. to that too? Is what I think is a hidden gem is that most of the investors or the mentors or leaders that have come in and spoke at Blue, or for you know, if we've had like Shinoa introduce us or Maya or basically any of of Blue, uh, the introductions that we've been able to have, most people aren't angry when they come and visit Hawaii. Right. It's it's like they're vacationing. So in terms of that relationship building, um, you get that instantly. And so. Uh, when they go back home, whether it's the mainland or even whether it's down the street, um, starting off the connection really strong is is because it's such, such a beautiful place to, to meet people. And so we've been able to get a lot of strong leads because people are kind of in that vacation mode. And when they go back, they remember all the good things about Unum and about us, about Blue. And, and so <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully great. funding comes that's up. Great. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I'm just hoping that uh, – it's more than just the the good feeling that something actually substantive happens here in Hawaii. So Dylan Morgan is the CEO and co-founder of Unum. And, of course, Daniel Kaneshiro is the founder of Mail Gap. And we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah. thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week and we'll talk about the Coral Symposium and what's happening to Hawaii's corals. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Goodbye Heart and a song called Lives on Lives. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.